Girl, he reads from these journals he kept when he was a principal. Uncut and uncensored. Putting all his business in the street. The podcast, Ruthless Equity. The name, Ken Williams. I've just touched down in Maryland. Haven't seen my family in a week. And I get a phone call from our prospective AP, Jeannie, telling me that though her 10-minute interview with Dr. Harris and Dr. Jackson went well, she had a funny feeling about the results. Dr. Harris's arms were folded the entire time, and she harped on the fact that ours was the only school to not make annual yearly progress in all areas of reading and language arts. She then went on to decide who my assistant principal should be. Now, principals with AP openings were asked to screen applicants, conduct interviews, and submit our top three candidates. I took time, assembled interviews, assembled an interview panel, developed protocols, and honored the process. To have it all undone based on a 10-minute interview conducted by a person who's not spent 10 minutes in my building. The previous five pages of this journal contain the email that I penned upon getting the news that I wasn't going to get my first and only real choice or my second choice. My life partner, best friend and wife made it clear that we were not going to take this lying down. She dropped me off with my laptop at the local library where I spent two hours letting my thoughts flow. I'm proud of the email, but it was an absolutely torturous day. Ruined in many aspects because the call knocked me completely off my feet. It soured my mood and contributed to me getting very little sleep that night. I told Jeannie and it got her down as well. To his credit, my assistant superintendent, Dr. Jackson, was willing to hear me out. He called me the next morning at 7.30 a.m. to inform me that I'd made great points in my email and Dr. Harris was going to grant me my wish. I was speechless and humbly thanked him. I told him that I would not let him down. He told me I was already doing what he expected, which was to be the best principal I could be. Needless to say, the next day was a lot better. Hours later, and on the way to New York City to see my family and The Lion King on Broadway, I got a call from a colleague, Dean Lillard. He was screaming through the phone, (laughs) sharing that he heard that I wrote a three-page single-space letter to Dr. Harris and Dr. Jackson regarding assistant principal appointments. He would not reveal his source to me, He just went on and on with kind words and encouragement for fighting what I believed in. After the fiasco with Holly a few years ago, I was not going to be punked again. I knew who I wanted and knew why I needed her. I was completely floored to learn that Dean knew about the email. And though I had a tinge of worry, I focused on one, the fact that I shared the email with no one. And two, my outcome was met. I wanted Jeannie Lynch as our AP, and that's what we got done. 
lot to be excited about here at Unfold the Soul. The first thing is this. Listen, get you some of that buttery baritone, baby. The Ruthless Equity audiobook is out. Now, look, I'm proud of myself. I had no idea the grind it takes to actually record and narrate an entire book, but I'm really proud of it. It's available on Amazon, Audible, and many other audiobook platforms. Check it out, the Ruthless Equity audiobook. Also, if you're a fan of Ruthless Equity, a brother needs a favor. Please, 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 if you've gotten value from the book, please take a moment to leave a review on Amazon.com. You know how our world is set up today. I know I lean heavily on uh, customer reviews in every aspect of my life, whether it's renting a home, booking a hotel, right, planning a vacation, or buying a book, and I could use as much help as possible. Please take a moment and leave an honest review on Amazon.com. If you're a fan of Ruthless Equity, you're a school leader or a teacher leader, you're interested in a powerful book study, check out the Ruthless Equity Accelerator video book study. I've taken all the things I hate about book studies out of it. I facilitate all nine sessions. It's made up of nine fantastic video modules. You're able to walk your staff through the work to keep it moving forward without having the pressure to remember everything I said in Ruthless Equity. The only materials required is the book, all other materials can be downloaded from the site. If you're interested in that, go to ruthlessequity.com to check out the Ruthless Equity Accelerator video book study. Lastly, if you are remotely interested in partnering with me around de delivering professional development at your school or district, please check me out humbly. My calendar is filling up and even more humbly and shooting straight. The better I get at this and um, the more demand increases, I've honestly become really selective. I'm trying to also uh, live my best life. So if you have had any thoughts about partnering with me, go to unfoldthesoul.com. You can either go to the speaking tab or go right to unfoldthesoul.com slash contact. Set up a time. You'll see all three of my professional learning models there. Let's get together and bring equity, excellence, and achievement for all students, regardless of background, to your school or district. Now, back to the podcast. All right, baby, let's get into it. Listen, uh, you need to go pop you some popcorn right now. We're going to be here for a minute, and it's going to be worth it. If you haven't yet popped some popcorn, have a seat, uh, put your phone on silent, tell folks you're busy because we about to dig in this one has so many layers i it's just uh i'm gonna kind of be all over the place but you're gonna get it all baby you're gonna get it all first of all let me give you some background knowledge so i mentioned in the episode that you know my wife was like we're not gonna take this line down she dropped me off at the library with my laptop to pen this email and I said, I'm not going to be punked again. Well, what had happened was in my first principalship, I was, uh, I was appointed the principal of a small elementary school, about 350 kids. And based on the model that the district had, if you had 350 kids, you didn't have an AP. Now, 
I'm gonna tell you right now, this is my little public service announcement. Every school needs an assistant principal. While the, while the, you know, the number of students I had paled to much larger schools, the span of responsibilities is still the same. Every school needs an assistant principal. We don't want teachers working in isolation. I mean, I've, I've, I've got uh, good friends, Briglene and John Yost, who've written a fantastic book on singletons. We don't want teachers working in isolation. We didn't want teachers when they're the only person in the building teaching the content working in isolation. And yet we still set principals up in some schools to work in isolation. It's insane. It goes against everything schools say they're about and it needs to stop. All right. That said, at the time, I knew I wasn't going to have an AP, but in those schools, there was a position called staff development teacher in Montgomery County Public Schools. And it was almost like your uh, primary instructional coach. The staff development teacher didn't have positional authority. But if you hired the right way, they were real influencers. They were real influencers. And so I didn't necessarily get punked in this situation. What happened was I was informed that I would be appointed principal. But it hadn't gone to the board yet. And at the time, you know, Montgomery County, you did not go out flapping your gums about stuff that the board hadn't put through. But everybody knew the the outgoing principal at the school I was taking over, Damascus Elementary, knew he was, you know, moving on to other pastures. And I was going to take the position. Now, here's the deal. He knew he was out. He knew I was coming in. There was an opening at that school for staff development teacher. That opening, that opening came open like a couple of days before his last day. Now, I've seen this happen in politics, whatever, whatever. I am relatively apolitical, but the bottom line is if you are leaving the position and someone's coming into the position, and the staff development teacher is a critical position, then proper protocol is to leave that open for the new principal to hire the staff development teacher. Can you see I'm getting exercised here? And this is, I mean, this is literally 20 years ago. <laughs> this is 20 years ago. And so I had my person lined up. It was going to be Holly Steele, who I worked with, at a couple of previous stops, phenomenal classroom teacher, phenomenal instructional mind, and she had a great, you know those people who got great pedagogy, great people skills, and know how to cut through the BS? Like she's kind of no nonsense, but in a very, a warm, warm demander, that's it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm using too many words. She's a warm demander and knew what she was doing. I mean, she was great. And man, we were gonna make one hell of a dynamic duo. Oh my goodness. And then I got the news that the principal I was replacing on his way out, suitcases and shit packed, decided to appoint to hire a staff development teacher and not let me have that opportunity. Man, I was so pissed off. I can't. 
I can't tell you. You can probably tell now, 20 years later. And I don't even hold it personally against him. I'm just mad that it didn't happen. I mean, everything happens for a reason ultimately, but at that time I was just exercised with anger that kind of the old boys network snuck in and uh, man, he just took advantage of the fact that technically he was still the principal and, you know, hired a friend. And, you know, the, the guy was capable. Don't get me wrong. The guy was capable. He knew what he was doing, but he wasn't my person. Like, I needed my person. I knew who I wanted. You know, I knew what needed to happen. And, you know, that didn't happen with Holly. And so when this thing happened, man, it just, it just, it just brought back that PTSD. It was just too damn soon. You hear me? It was too damn soon. And I don't know if you remember from previous episodes when I talked about this process, the beginning of this process, everything like fell together like Sudoku, baby. I mean, like the puzzle pieces were all in place. If I remember correctly, there were maybe three or four elementary schools uh, in the market to hire an AP. All of us got along. We got together. We looked at the pool. Ironically, but not surprisingly, each one of us had someone in mind we wanted. Like we, we each person had someone we kind of identified as like, that's my person. And the coolest thing is, is that none of our number one choices overlapped. None of them overlapped. Not even the number two choices. And ironically, let me just say this for a record. I don't know if the brother listens, but uh, Dr. Marcus Jackson ended up being my second choice. You know, he he breaks my chops sometimes about the fact that I didn't hire him. It's just that Jeannie was already on staff. She was already proven. I've been grooming her for this. But uh, I'm proud to say that Brother Marcus Jackson, who's still doing big things today in schools, I believe he's in Louisiana, uh, was the was, was my second choice. But back to the point, we had the shit worked out. Every principal, we've identified who we wanted. None of them overlapped. We all took, you know, we all submitted our first choices. We all had interview panels. We all had protocols. Like, we had everything. And you know what else I'm proud of? At the time, Clayton County Public Schools was the hot mess express. It really was. It, it, it was an example of a district that, you know, 20 years prior was a quote-unquote suburban district, and it was. You know, I went to Morehouse College in Atlanta, and Clayton County was like the boondocks. It was like the boondocks. But the Olympics came to Atlanta and pushed a lot of poor folks to the outskirts of the city. And all of a sudden, Clayton County, uh, you know, demographic changed. And tragically, they were not ready for it. They did not handle it well. And so the district kind of fell into despair. It went from a district where surrounding districts used to send their teachers for training to one where it just had a stink on it. And, you know, the stink was in full effect when I got there. My point is, the four of us principals conducted this process so professionally, so high post. I mean, you would have thought we were four principals from the highest performing uh, district in the Southeast region. That's how top-notch professional we were, because I think in the back of our minds, we knew that some trifling shit could happen at the district level, and if we don't have our shit together and tight, 
this shit may blow up on us. So we had our stuff tight. And again, everything fell into place. Marcus knew who he wanted. I knew who I wanted. It was just fantastic. And other principals did as well. So to have that happen, and then in these quote-unquote 10-minute interviews where after we've done, after we vetted the assistant principals, vetted them, sent forward our first choices, this, this, uh, they decide, I'm not even going to say they, I call Dr. Jackson by name. To this day, he's my man, 50 grand, Dr. Cephas Jackson. I mean, one of the most supportive assistant soups, along with Linda Tanner, who I talk about a lot as well. They were just about it. Dr. Jackson, it was just like having someone in your corner all the time. But the other assistant soup left something to be designed. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm calling her Dr. Harris. She's the one that conducted these 10-minute damn interviews. And like I said in the, in the, in the journal entry, didn't, ain't spent 10 minutes at my school. And, and we're the lowest performing school in the district. They ain't spend 10 minutes booking a damn turn up, completely upend a process based on some surface ass data. Ugh. I'm going to read to you. I'm not going to read this whole uh, email because I'm not lying. It was three full <laughs> pages, single space. But I'm going to read an excerpt to you. I'm going to read an excerpt, just an excerpt. And it, it says this, as you know, I was hired and began working at Swint eight days before kids returned. Eight days. I'm very grateful to Clayton County for giving me the opportunity to lead Swint and to relocate to Atlanta. I'd moved my family down. I wrote this damn letter and thought to myself, they might fire my ass. While I was very confident, while I'm very confident in my leadership abilities, I did not have the opportunity to plan or prepare much for the coming year. I had to fit elements of what I believe turning a school around is about in between what was already established. Now you get the title, driving somebody else's car. Admittedly, my learning curve was steep. Making my mission further challenging were the layers upon layers of dysfunction at our school. When I share stories of how negative our culture was, how things had spun completely out of control, it makes jaws drop. These levels of sheer dysfunction have led to making annual yearly progress a goal. And we haven't done that consistently three of the past four years. This is the hardest I've ever worked in my life. And the early results have been wonderful. With support from the two of you and Mrs. Tanner, I was able to turn much of the existing staff over. And while this doesn't look good on paper, it was a blessing for Swint, a school in need of drastic changes. This turnover has provided me the opportunity to build a school from the ground up. It has afforded me the opportunity to move from compliance issues of command and control to improvement issues of connection and commitment. During the year, I developed workshops for staff aspiring to all levels of leadership in life. There, I worked at as best I could to groom staff for leadership opportunities. All that time, Mrs. Richmond Lynch, Jeannie, stood out. And I knew that whatever school landed her would greatly benefit from her skills. When I was informed that Swint would be interviewing candidates, I considered the fact that Swint would be a new school in an older building with my leadership stamp on it. Both of you being leaders, you know the importance of your right hand. 
taking nothing away from our other two candidates, Mrs. Richmond Lynch is the right hand we need. With her, while her experience is primarily in mathematics, she is a sponge for pedagogy. She has availed herself to every Reading First professional development opportunity offers this year. She has strengths to complement my shortcomings, strengths to complement my strengths, well-respected by staff and community, a lifelong learner, and thinks day and night, as I do, about how to be a great leader. We challenge each other's thinking. I've given her tons of exposure regarding my vision for building a professional learning community at Swint. She has been introduced to and spent time with the architects of PLC. Listen, that's just three paragraphs. But my point was this. I thought about this earlier. I'm not a I, I, I'm a self-proclaimed status quo disruptor. I'm not a rule breaker by nature. Like I got friends who are just natural contrarians. One of my best friends, he just lives to be a contrarian. I'm not a contrarian. I am mission driven. And we established mission at that school. We established our mission. We had, and I'm not talking about statements. We established mission. We established a vision. We had a clear picture of what our school was going to become. And so while I'm not a rule breaker, I let nothing stand in the way of mission. I will disrupt if anything is placed in my path that impedes the mission. This is why schools must be mission driven. If we weren't mission driven, you know what this would be? An extreme annoyance, but we would just kind of roll with the punches trying to get through work every day. But that wasn't the case with us because we were on a mission to move past our current circumstance, to paint a new picture. And our mission was aggressive. Our mission was ambitious. Our mission was audacious. When I work with schools on establishing mission, I have a little presentation I call Mission Ignition. And one of the components is this, your mission should scare you a little bit. It should make your bottom half tighten up just a little. If it doesn't, you don't have mission. You have a compliance statement. Mission is inherently disruptive. Being mission driven is not a whole lot different than the YouTube channel you want to start, but you're too afraid of what people are going to think about you or that manuscript that you've got on Google Drive that's 80% done, but you're afraid of what people think about you. And I talk about this about equity as well, and I say this in the book. Going, you know, achieving equity, there is a going for itness to it. It's 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 much the same as the fear that holds people back from living their best life. And being truly mission driven is the same thing. I'm not gonna lie to you, I was scared shitless to send that email. But there was no way. I was going to take that lying down and we would have found a way somehow to make it work. But you brought me in here under ridiculous circumstances. Eight days before kids got back, the hot mess express, a complete and certified shiny shit show. And then after three quarters of one school year, you change everything based on some surface data. Our work is to defy data. And I believe if she'd visited our school a few times this year and spent 10 minutes there, she would see the kind of progress we were making. 
right? In this TikTok society, in this snap your fingers and it's here. And look, I do it with the best of them, baby. I mean, there's an Amazon box on my porch every damn day. I will order ice on Amazon. You hear me? I love that. Changing the narrative of a school doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't take, it doesn't have to take three to five years either, but it doesn't happen overnight. And we had building blocks that weren't seen yet. You know what happens if you're a sports fan. Like, I'm, I'm a Giants fan, right? And the Giants have been dreadful for the last several years. But last year, they made a breakthrough, right? They, they made a breakthrough. And I'm expecting better things as we move forward. But I'm not expecting them to go to the Super Bowl next year. It would be nice if they did, but I'm not expecting it. But they seem to have the kind of leadership right now that understands that culture is built from the inside out, that you've got to lay foundation. And that's what we were doing that year. And I just wasn't going to stand for it. I, you know, My email didn't guarantee that we're going to get the results we wanted, but I wasn't going to stand for it. It wasn't personal. I had nothing personal against the assistant soup. It was about being mission driven. You put me in place to do this. Give me the tools to work on it. You gave me a process. I honored it. Damn it. Don't come in and upend it over some, to me, trivial, you're the only school. See, that? that's more cover my ass stuff to me than it is, you know, real feedback. Now, if you never visited the school, if you know nothing about my leadership, then it doesn't surprise me that you look at a data report and we show up as the only school that didn't make AYP in reading and language arts. And what she was going to do is she was going to place an assistant principal there who was strong with literacy. But damn it, I didn't need that. Oh, sorry. I don't mean to get emotional about this. I didn't need that. And so I found myself trying, like delivering, delivering the goods while driving somebody else's car. And I accepted that all year long. But as you heard in the entry, we turned staff over. I mean, at the end of that year, 31 people across all stakeholder groups were out of there. 31, right? So you give me somebody else's raggedy ass car, I'll drive it. But you let me set the terms on, you know, the kind of equipment it needs, the kind of repairs it needs, how we're going to enhance its performance. You don't give me somebody else's raggedy ass car and then tell me that it's not good enough after six months. It'd been a shit show for the last several years. And so my point is this. When you're mission driven and, and, you know, Tom Herc and I say this about uh, the last book we wrote, Starting a Movement. Starting a Movement begins with standing for something. What do you stand for? What do you stand for? I also mentioned my colleague, Dean Lillard, who was a fantastic mentor, an established principal. And I remember what I loved about his school. He was the principal of Northcutt Elementary. He has since retired. But Dean was a ball of energy. There was no way to be negative around him. And I don't mean fluff positive energy, right? Dean was going to knock you over with his positivity, his outlook. He was also not afraid of, you know, delivering critical feedback. But you are not going to exist at his school. And, um... What did what did he say? Northcutt Elementary. Oh man, I'm, here's what I noticed. I remember calling the school, and his secretary said something like, "Welcome to Northcutt Elementary. Oh, where we are cut above." And they said it with enthusiasm. I was like, "Man, I love that." 
So man, I would I would spend time with Dean. I'd get advice from Dean. I'd get counsel from Dean. And so I don't know. He's obviously was connected because somehow he heard about that email going to my assistant soups and gave me a call. Now I was a little nervous about the you know how did he find out part, but I was affirmed because I knew Dean Lillard was about the business. Like he he's one of those people. He is definitely mission driven, and so I could see him advocating for what's right in a similar situation. Too many others of us would just take it and we can't do that. And this is more than something personal. This is about being mission driven. Not hiring the assistant principal we wanted would have complete, it would have thwarted our mission and vision. And so I was absolutely willing to fight for it. Here, here's the takeaway, man. Listen, you work with me, you know I'm going to harp on mission, not your mission statement. I could care less about your mission statement. I want to know what mission are you on? What mission are you on? Because with mission, 2 plus 2 plus 2 equals 20. That's the point of mission. It's disruptive. Mission cannot be met with logic. And I think that's what bothered me more than anything. She's looking at these this... Uh, the, the, the surface data after seven months of taking over a complete shit show and trying to come up against mission. No, 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 no. Mission can't be, can't be explained with logic. That's why I don't bother when people want to walk up to me during PD and say, this stuff sounds good, Ken, but I mean, our neighborhood and our demographic and our kids and our population, forget all that. I don't want to miss me with all that because it means nothing. It means nothing. Mission is designed to defy the data. That's the purpose of it. If mission wasn't uh, daunting, if mission doesn't make sense logically, that's why you have mission. And schools have to be on a mission because there are things all kids have to learn. And so 20 years later, I'm probably 70% as exercised as I was 20 years ago. And I'm proud of myself. I really am. I'm not going to lie. I'm proud of myself. I'm proud of myself for standing up for what was right. Because I could have just taken it lying down and just, you know what? Uh, move forward and just complained about the county and complained about how they took our AP and complained about that and kind of attached that to why we aren't all we need to be. And listen, she still, she made, she didn't have to honor my wishes. She didn't have to honor my wishes, but she did. We would have made it work if we didn't get Jeannie. It would have been harder. No question about it. But I wasn't going to take that lying down. And it's not because I'm an awesome person. It's because we were on a mission. You need to be on a mission. Every school must be on a mission. Because I'm telling you, to start a movement, to ensure equity, to ensure high levels of learning for all kids, to ensure a great PLC, you've got to be on a mission. I need to stop this episode because I'm about to start all over again. Whew, thank you for hanging with me. I know this is a long one, but I promise you it's worth it. Once again, reminder, if you've read Ruthless Equity, please leave a review on Amazon. If you haven't, what the hell are you waiting for? This is a book that needs to be in the hands of every educator 
in America. If you are a listener to the podcast and you want to order Ruthless Equity for your staff, shoot me an email because I can provide you a 20% discount. Go make magic for kids. Remember two things. One, there is no chance, no destiny, no fate that will circumvent, hinder, or control the firm resolve of a determined soul. And remember to always start with the crown, not with the kid. episode of the Ruthless Equity School Leadership Podcast, the immeasurable power of when someone sees more in you than you see in yourself. You've been listening to the Ruthless Equity School Leadership Podcast with Ken Williams. For more information about Ken, visit RuthlessEquity.com.